I live in western New York. At the complex my fiancé and I share is heavily populated. Lots of houses on the outside of the property as well. But directly behind our building is a very large section of dense forest. When we first moved here three years ago, we used to go out there to smoke joints and such as we didn't want to on our back deck. Shortly afterwards, we decided the woods were no bueno, so we would just smoke on our deck. So anyways, I have had two very strange occurrences in the last two weeks. Also, I don't know if it was a crawler that I saw heard, but I figured I would post here and see what everyone's opinion is. Anyways, about two weeks ago, I'm out on my deck or patio. We live on the second floor, and there's a staircase leading up to the door that takes you up the stairs to the third floor and whatnot. And I'm smoking a cigarette. It's about 2 or 3 a.m., and I hear a bunch of rustling at the far end of the parking lot behind our building out in the woods. So I look over there, and all I hear is this loud screech. I assumed it was some type of animal at first, but it kept walking a few feet and then screeching. It did this repeatedly until it was almost in front of me, but still in the woods, if that makes sense. At this point, I feel like something or someone is watching me. So I walk down into the parking lot, and as soon as I did, I hear the screech, but even louder this time, moving towards me. I ran as fast as I've ever run in my entire life back up the steps into my apartment, shutting and locking the door. About ten minutes later, I open the glass door. We have a screen door on the very outside and I still hear the screeching but even further down and deeper into the woods. I haven't heard it since that night. I really don't believe it was an animal, because I've lived relatively secluded most of my life at my dad's house, and I heard animals and bugs and all that all the time, so I don't know it was just really weird. The most recent event occurred last weekend. I was dead tired after I got out of work at 11 p.m., and I was out on the deck smoking again and at some point I fell asleep in my chair out there. So I wake up. It's about 3.30 a.m. and I stood up, stretched, and then lit another cigarette. Well, at this point I have shaken off the sleepies and I'm kind of just scanning the tree line. As I'm doing this near the far right corner of the parking lot, we have those cattails or whatever they're called, the tall grass crap. While looking, I lifted my eyes up because whatever was over there caught my attention right away. I swear, whatever this was, it was maybe seven, seven and a half feet tall, kind of hunched over and just staring at me. I noticed no other features that stuck out, just long limbs and a blank face. As soon as I looked at it, it turned and kind of galloped into the mouth of the woods and was just gone like that. I don't know if it was a crawler or just an animal making me look stupid, but whatever it was gave me a creepy feeling. But that sums up my events. If I seem crazy, then do tell me so, because I'd rather that than be what it could be low. Let me know what you think and thank you. Staying at a state park in Wisconsin with some buddies. Campsite has a narrow footpath at the back, about 25-30 yards through the woods to a rough service road. I'm guessing that's what it is. And a pretty vast clearing just beyond. Earlier in the night... Just after dark, I decide to take a walk to the service road and have a, a little explore of the clearing. I stumble upon a decently sized shelter made of fallen trees slash limbs. It's very well put together, but its shape isn't something I would thought to use to construct. Alas, to each their own. I don't think much of this organized assortment of wood after finding it. 
Back at camp, I've taken to going about halfway down the footpath to relieve my bladder. It's far enough away from the group where no one can complain about going too close to their tent. Obviously, it's private in the dense brush as well. It's a buggy night and the forest canopy let no light through from above. So one trip down the peepoth, I remember to use the red light on my headlamp instead of primary mode to aid in my aim while not having to swat at insects. The stream is flowing and I'm mindlessly looking around at the forest in the red glow of my headlamp when I notice a glowing red dot. It's about eye. Level further down the path, just on the edge where the service road and the footpath meet. I focus in, and just as my mind questions what the glowing sphere could be, the one turns into two. Two bright red as red can be eyes looking at me head on. Not from above or below, straight ahead, level with my own gaze. I haven't tucked, zipped, and sprinted away faster in my life than in that moment. It was a deer. We all went back out to investigate after I breathlessly told them what I saw. We caught glimpse of the doe much further down the service road. I'll never be using my red light in the woods again. I was camping with my boyfriend sleeping on a blow-up mattress on the side of the tent closest to the fire, with my sister on the other side of the tent. About to be sound asleep, I heard sniffing right next to my head and squeezed my boyfriend's hand to see if he heard it. My heart was pounding so hard. I have four dogs and my sister has one, so there is five dogs in the tent. Not one of them woke up. I slowly lifted my head to face my boyfriend, trying not to make a sound. I as quietly as I could ask, Did you hear that? He with one slow nod. Nodded yes. We laid there for what felt like ten minutes while hearing loud breathing and sniffing. We would squeeze each other's hand every time we heard it. We were pretty much asking, did you hear that too? At one point I could have sworn I heard what sounded like hooves stamping the ground about two feet away. But he never mentioned anything about it after when we were recalling what happened, so I figure I was just being paranoid. After the sounds had stopped for a while, he grabbed the gun and went to check it out. As I mentioned earlier, we were on the side closest to the fire, and it was at that point where it's just smoke and ash flying about. There were no footprints, nothing disturbed other than now his footprints. My sister didn't hear anything, the dogs didn't make a sound, but me and my boyfriend simultaneously heard it every single time. This is a national park in North Idaho, and it's not the first time I've had a strange experience there. I don't know what we heard, but I know we heard something. I was a kid camping with a whole bunch of other kids and some camp counselors in a public park. It was probably 12.30 and we had all just kind of started falling asleep when my friend woke me up and told me there was someone in the woods. At first I blew her off, but then my counselors got up with their flashlights and one of our counselors had a dog that started growling. It turned out to be a couple of other counselors who were not on this overnight trip who came out to scare the crap out of us. It worked. I briefly participated in missionary work in the Congo in the late 1980s and can say with my hand on my heart that I and six other locals witnessed a Jiba Fofi scurry across the road or clearing into the bush just five feet away from us, about an hour outside of Gamboma. It looked exactly like a long-legged tarantula, but was about the size of a medium-sized dog, 
pit bull or something. Of course, everyone I've ever told says, yeah, sure. Just a big spider, monkey or sloth. But I know what I saw and feel lucky to have seen it. I remember my first thought was not fear, but just I wish I had a film camera. The locals were shocked too. I hope they still exist out there. The Jeba Fothi, also known as the Congolese giant spider, is a type of large arachnid cryptid said to inhabit the farce of the Congo. Eyewitnesses have stated that the giant arachnids dig a shallow tunnel under tree roots and camouflage with a large screen of leaves. Then they create an almost invisible web between their burrow and a nearby tree, stringing the whole area with a network of trip lines. Some oblivious animal that's likely soon to end up on the creature's menu will trip the line alerting the spider. The victim will then be chased into the web. This type of predatory behavior is similar to that of several species of trap. For spiders, natives claim the jiba fofi eggs are pale yellow white and shaped like peanuts, and the hatchlings are bright yellow with a purple abdomen. Their coloration becomes darker and brown as they mature. Some of the peoples indigenous to the regions in the Congo where the Jeba Fofi has been seen assert that the spider was once quite common, but has since become very rare. The very first sighting of the Jeba Fofi by a Western observer was in the 1890s near Lake Nyasa, during which British missionary Arthur John Symes and his men came upon one of the creatures. His men got themselves tangled in an enormous web and two giant spiders which were two and four feet in length male and female, came out of their web and attacked them. Symes was bitten but managed to escape after shooting one of them with his pistol. He subsequently developed symptoms including a deathly pallor, severe chills and swelling around the area where he was bitten and became delirious before dropping into unconsciousness. He ultimately succumbed to these effects and died. I was house-sitting for a friend's family. They lived in the country, not BFA, but the neighbors were far enough away that you had privacy without a set of binoculars. I'd been there a million times and was well acquainted with the property. Their large dog was fond of me and would follow me around casually. Before bed, I let him outside to do his thing. He's sniffing around, he pees, and before he turns to come back in, something gets his attention. He turns facing out away from the house, hackles up and freezes doesn't make a sound. I can only see him because of the single porch light, and I can't see much further out than that. Pure darkness. I call him a few times and he ignores me. Suddenly he turns and sprints toward me and barges in the door, tail between his legs. He goes straight to his kennel and won't come to me. I slammed and locked the door, turned off the interior lights and turned on every exterior light, scanned the area with a flashlight and just couldn't see anything. I let him sleep on the couch with me that night, even though I really didn't sleep. The next day I went walking out there to see what I could see. No signs of anything unusually. I told them about what happened, and they thought it was really weird for the dog to act like that. It's not unusual for coyotes to come around, but he usually fiercely barks and growls at them and scares them off. I'm sure it was an animal. And maybe he was just scared because I was scared because I was scared. But regardless, gee damn, 
Not knowing what's out there is way scarier than knowing. You hear that, horror film writers? My journey began in the lush, dense forests of the Pacific Northwest. As I trekked through the undergrowth, I couldn't help but feel a thrill of excitement. I was finally on the trail of the creature I'd been obsessed with for years. Along the way, I met other hikers who shared their own tales of strange encounters. One woman, Sarah, recounted a bone-chilling experience from her childhood. She and her family had been camping when they heard heavy footsteps and guttural growls outside their tent. They never saw the creature responsible, but the next morning they discovered massive footprints around their campsite. She was convinced it had been Bigfoot. As we gathered around the campfire one night, exchanging stories, the atmosphere grew tense. The fear was palpable, and it seemed like we were all on edge. We decided it would be best to stick together for the remainder of our journey through the woods. The following day, as we trekked deeper into the forest, we stumbled upon a set of fresh tracks. They looked eerily similar to the ones Sarah had described from her childhood encounter. Our excitement was tempered by an underlying sense of dread, but we pressed on, hoping to finally catch a glimpse of the elusive creature. That night, we set up camp in a small clearing. As darkness fell, we huddled together for warmth and comfort, our eyes scanning the shadows for any sign of movement. The forest was eerily quiet, and we couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched. Suddenly, a blood-curdling howl pierced the silence. It was unlike any animal sound I'd ever heard, and it sent shivers down my spine. We were all on high alert clutching our makeshift weapons and scanning the darkness for the source of the noise. Then, as if out of nowhere, one of our group members, Jack, began to convulse violently. His eyes rolled back in his head and his body contorted into unnatural shapes. We watched in horror as his features shifted, growing more bestial by the second. Before our very eyes, Jack transformed into a monstrous werewolf. Fangs bared, he lunged at us, snarling and snapping. We scattered, each of us fleeing for our lives. Our search for Bigfoot forgotten in the face of this new, terrifying threat. We fought for survival, using every ounce of strength and cunning to evade the werewolf. In the end, it was Sarah who saved us all. Armed with a silver knife, she plunged it into the beast's heart causing it to collapse, lifeless at our feet. As we regrouped, battered and bruised, we couldn't help but marvel at the irony of our situation. We had ventured into the wilderness to find Bigfoot, only to discover a shape-shifting werewolf in our midst. As we made our way back to civilization, we vowed never to forget the harrowing experience that had bonded us together. The dense Amazon jungles loomed before us, a labyrinth of greenery teeming with life and secrets. I led a team of sixteen Navy SEALs, with Vlad at my side, an occasional writer and a professor at a military college. Our mission? To investigate reports of a mysterious creature akin to the dogman terrorizing the local population. Little did we know that this covert operation would thrust us into a battle against a cryptid that preyed on our fears and threatened the safety of our homeland. As we ventured deeper into the heart of the treacherous wilderness, 
the air thickened with a palpable sense of unease. Shadows danced amidst the dense foliage, whispering secrets we struggled to comprehend. The jungle seemed alive, harboring secrets as ancient as time itself. We knew our adversaries weren't solely the dangers of the natural world. Something supernatural lurled. Something supernatural lurked in the shadows. One by one, our team members fell victim to the cryptid's relentless assault. Its presence was elusive, yet ever-present, leaving a trail of death and destruction in its wake. The creature seemed to feed off our fears, manifesting as our deepest nightmares, exploiting our vulnerabilities with ruthless precision. Struggling to maintain our sanity and survival, we fought a battle on two fronts. The physical threats of the jungle intertwined with the psychological torment inflicted by the unknown entity. The line between reality and illusion blurred, and our own inner demons clawed at the edges of our minds. Doubt and fear threatened to consume us, testing the limits of our training and mental fortitude. But within the chaos, the spirit of the Navy SEALs endured. We rallied, drawing strength from our collective will and the unyielding determination to protect our country from this supernatural menace. Each fallen comrade fueled our resolve, a reminder of the stakes at hand. In a climactic showdown, we faced the cryptid head. On. Bullets tore through the air, explosions reverberated through the jungle, and sweat mixed with blood as we engaged in a desperate struggle for survival. The creature fought with an otherworldly ferocity, seemingly invincible. Yet, in a stroke of bravery and calculated precision, we managed to find its weakness. Exploiting this vulnerability, we launched a final assault, pouring all our remaining strength into the decisive blow. As the cryptid fell, its body disintegrated into ashes, consumed by the wind that whispered through the ancient trees. We stood amidst the aftermath, the weight of our fallen comrades heavy upon us. Though the battle was won, it came at a great cost. Many Navy SEALs had sacrificed their lives in the face of the unknown, their bravery etched in our memories forever. We returned, weary but triumphant, to our homeland. The mission to neutralize the cryptid was complete, but the scars, both physical and emotional, would forever bear witness to the horrors we had faced. Being woken up at 6.30 a.m. to the start of a powerful storm that was originally forecasted to hit after we left the campgrounds. We had camped by a lake not near the shore, thankfully, and the winds became strong, over 40 miles per hour at least, causing the tent to literally folding upon itself. And the rain was pouring into the tent as my husband attempted to reinforce the tent from falling over, causing the tent to begin to flood. I was inside literally trying to keep the tent from collapsing, pushing against the side of the tent to counter the wind. After that, we had to scramble to get the outside equipment, cooler, cooking equipment, etc., into the tent, getting completely soaked in the process. My anxiety flew through the roof as I heard thunder in the distance and freaked out that Mother Nature would think one of us would make the perfect lightning rod. Luckily, we got that done quickly, but because we didn't want to stay in the tent as it continued to take on water, 
We ran to our car and sat in it for several hours while we waited for the storm to subside. Happy to say that none of our expensive stuff got ruined, but so much stuff was soaked, bedding, clothes, towels, etc. Since it was summertime, it got hot again by lunchtime, so we laid everything out on a clothesline we made and sat around until everything dried off. Oh! And since our breakfast plans were ruined, we went to Whataburger in the neighboring town and got ourselves a big breakfast. I'm a ranger at the Grand Canyon National Park, Arizona. It's an incredible job and you get to meet so many new people. Apart from the obvious scenic advantage, the management there provides amazing service. Our rooms and stations are nice and they renovate every year before the massive tourist rush. The meals are delicious and fulfilling. Anyway, yeah, I love the job. You might know that the Grand Canyon National Park also shares a boundary with the Navajo region. One of the questions I'm often asked by visitors, especially since I patrolled that side of the park, is do you ever have any strange experiences on that side or if the Navajo people are spooky? According to our training sessions and briefings, the Navajo like to stay to themselves. That's a big reason why I've not really seen them near the park before. Now that I think about it, it was just the other day when I saw an older Navajo man, about 70. He had a hunchback in the typical Native American getup. I approached him, asked if he needed help navigating. He looked lost. As soon as I did, his eyes opened wide and grabbed my hands into it with a really strong grip. It even hurt a little. I don't think the old man had that much strength left in him. He pulled me so I was staring into his eyes at eye level and he spoke in a very hushed voice. He informed me that he had been looking for me since that morning, but had only just found me. When I asked if I knew him, he said that was irrelevant. His next words shook me. He was seeking me out to warn me about my death. I was speechless. I kept asking, who are you? I didn't know what to think about it at that point. I asked him what he meant and told me one of the tribesmen was trying to learn magic, and they fell prey to the evils that they could achieve with it. He was apparently said to become a skinwalker. Now I don't know much about the Navajo people's beliefs or their faith in local stories or any other religions or factions' beliefs, but I didn't believe any of it. They were fairy tales to me. Fictional stories. They sounded so absurd, and that's what I thought at the time. The old man was telling me tales, and I figured he was delusional, especially since he was so old. I shrugged off his words and began to walk him towards the gate that would lead him back to the Navajo region. The entire way he kept shaking and repeating, as if in a stance that I needed to stay inside my cabin tonight, and I should not come out no matter what happened. I led him to the gate. There were some other Native Americans already waiting for the old man outside. To my surprise, as soon as they saw the old man with me, they ran up to us and took the old man away at a speed that really made me think. Anyway, I watched them walk off and disappear off into the distance. I came back inside and got back to my daily duties and checking. The rest of the day was rather uneventful with the exception of a couple of losing their kid in a park. We immediately helped them, and thankfully we found the child. After sunset, I went inside my unit and took a break. I ate some food and relaxed a little while I was laying on my bed reading a book. I heard the shriek in the distance. It was faint, but I heard it loud and clear. I turned to look at my radio. 
anticipating a voice on the other end saying something about the shriek. There is nothing. I waited for a few more moments. The radio was still quiet. I just shrugged and went back to my reading. I heard the same sound again, this time a lot louder and closer. I was up and gearing up already. I thought maybe nobody else heard it, even though it would be strange. I left my firearm inside. I didn't think I needed it, and I rushed outside in the direction of where I thought I had heard the sound come from. It was a dark night, and it was quiet, which is why the rustling in the distance was so clear. I heard the shriek again, and this time it sounded like an injured animal. It came from behind a tree. I began to approach it slowly, and I stopped dead in my tracks when something emerged from behind the tree. It was something I can't really explain. It was bent down on all fours and growling while looking down. There was drool coming out of its mouth. I took my flashlight from my pocket and flashed over it. That was a big mistake. The thing immediately hissed and stared directly into my eyes. They were pure black, and it scared me. I turned around and ran back. I had nothing to defend myself with. I could hear the thing running behind me. I ran in the direction of the ranger station, went inside, closing the door. I went into the security room and checked the cameras. The one focused on the door outside the station showed that this thing was chewing on something. I couldn't tell. Then it started walking away again on all fours. I stayed in the station until the thing was out of sight. I double-checked all the cameras. I went outside and straight to my room. The next day, I told the other rangers about it in the morning. They checked last night's recordings and were as freaked out about it as I was. We were now extra careful that night and the night after. But we never saw that thing again. And I could not get the old man who had warned me earlier out of my head. There was a secret camping spot in Oregon that I would go to with my friends often that was extremely hard to find, but absolutely worth the trouble. I decided to meet a friend up there for a weekend in May. When I pulled up 300 hundred yards down the road, there was a man in a W bus with his dog. He gave me a wave and I waved back. I then met up with my friend near the lake. My friend and I fished for a few hours and were the only people camping on the lake. When it got dark, I went back to my car to put away dinner supplies. To my left was the lake maybe 600 yards away. Straight ahead was a road that led to where the VW bus was, and to my right was thick forest. Right when I shut my car door, I heard a blood-curdling scream. It sounded like a woman, about 50 yards to my right in the thick forest. I could not move. I started hearing barking and looked up and saw the man and his dog next to the view bus. The man had a headlamp on which shined down on the dog, who was barking and moving in circles, clearly freaked out by the scream. Then the man started running towards me and yelling, Did you hear that? And still freaked out by the noise, but even more freaked out by the dude said, Yeah, what was that? The guy stops near me and confidently says, Bigfoot, here I am, a twenty-something female in the middle of the dense forest. My friend is too far to hear and some crazy dude is telling me I just heard Bigfoot. He then gets close and says, You know who can protect us. Jesus Christ, let me put a safety bubble around you. The man proceeds to create an invisible bubble with his arms around the area we are in. I probably awkwardly said, Thanks. And all I remember is running back to my friend. 
When I get back to him, I asked if he had heard the scream, and he said no, and I proceed to tell him the story. Either this was an elaborate prank by Jesus Dude, or I heard Bigfoot. But the fact that the dog was freaking out still haunts me today. Oh man, I have a good one. I'm no stranger to backpacking and I know the rules, but I broke them one time only. This story takes place while I was doing a few nights near Mount Wilson, out near Los Angeles. I got kind of a late start, and I was losing light the first night. So I set camp near a nice babbling brook. Before tying up my food bag, I decide that I'm going to bring some instant coffee and cocoa into the tent with me, so I don't have to get out of my tent to make it in the morning. This was my mistake. I know I'm in bear country and not to bring any smelly, tasty stuff into the tent. I messed up. I do some reading and go to sleep. Some hours later, I wake up to hear sniffing around the tent. That's not so crazy. I've had critters come through my camp lots of times, and they usually don't find anything and move on. This time was different. I hear the bear sniffing, get closer and closer to my tent, and then he's right on me. I couldn't see him, but in my mind, he was easy 2,000 pounds. As he gets closer, I sit in my sleeping bag with the widest eyes you can imagine. He gets right up on my tent, sniff, huff, sniff, and then he starts trying to come in. I about shit my pants and start screaming, Get out of here, bear, but he's not having it. He continues to scratch at my tent, and all I can think about is how thin that material is. I start punching at the tent wall and keep up my yelling. The bear eventually decides that my cocoa isn't worth it and wanders off. Dude... My heart is thumping out of my chest. I'm freaking the F out. I didn't sleep much after that. The coffee slash cocoa the next morning was nice, but never again will I sleep with anything that smells nice in my tent. Lesson learned. My shift involved the night shift. I got a call to an old abandoned house on the outskirts of town. I wasn't too worried about it. I thought I'd be stuck dealing with a vagrant or a squatter. But as I walked up to the door, I realized something was off. As I approached the porch, I felt an overwhelming sense from inside that I shouldn't go any further. But even though my mind was screaming at me to turn back, I couldn't help myself. There's nothing more dangerous than that thin line we all have to cross, especially in our field of work as officers. I have every right to be here, I told myself, reaching for the handle. But just as I was about to grab it, I heard a noise coming from within. I drew my gun, held with both hands, and forced myself inside, and forced myself inside. It didn't take long for me to realize that nobody else was in here. I wasn't sure what I was expecting to see or find, but clearly this place had been vacant for a while. As soon as I had thoroughly checked everything out, I started back towards my squad car. However, I heard another sound behind me. I turned around and I saw it. It was human, I think, but its eyes were like black pits that went on forever. I couldn't even tell where I was looking when I looked into him. And then the smell hit me, an awful stench like I had never experienced before. Rotting meat left to fester in the sun for days in sulfur. I can still smell it sometimes, even though I haven't seen or heard of what it was since. I know this is a very short story, but I'm not really sure what I saw that night. But I know one thing for certain, whatever that being was, 
God help us all if I ever have to meet it again. I grew up in Park City, Utah, and hiked all the mountains there as a kid. Knew my bearings, what plants I could eat, what to stay away from, and had good common sense to stay away from ridges, old mining caves and shit. A few years later, in 1980, I was at the IMCA Camp Roger Summer Camp in Camas, Utah. Our camp leader, we were all in groups, took us on an overnight hike. He got us lost, and this was when there were no cell phones. We hiked and spent another night where it rained on us, so no fire. We hiked the entire next day and were exhausted, ran out of water and food. When we hiked over a side ridge, I immediately recognized the place because I'd been there as a preteen cutting firewood with my foster dad. I knew where water was and a road, so I told the camp leader I knew exactly where we were and I'm heading that direction. At first he completely refused to believe me, so I said of him and began hiking towards where I knew the road was and water, and eventually most of the kids followed me. Within a half hour, I had us all out of there on a road and flagged down a camper. I was 12 at the time. A year later, another dumbass EMCA camp leader led a group of boys up on top of a ridge where they jumped from one rock to another rock, lower with a gap, and realized they couldn't jump back. They all had to be rescued. At that camp, 